And if you would, open your Bibles to the book of Hosea. We're going to continue our time in this amazing book. We'll be looking at Hosea chapter 11, verse 12 through the end of chapter 13 this morning. Let us pray before we enter into our time with God's Word. Lord, we are so thankful again to be here this morning. Thank you for your grace and your mercy. Thank you for the Word of the Lord. Lord, thank you for places like the book of Hosea that is just a tremendous reminder of your faithfulness, but also a tremendous reminder of our unfaithfulness. And so, Lord, I pray that through the Holy Spirit of God and the Word of God, Lord, on this anniversary day for us as a church family, Lord, you would so bring to the forefront of our hearts and minds the truth of your Word, and Lord, that we would live faithfully to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. We have been walking through the book of Hosea for quite some time now. We're on really that final lap. And so Pastor Jason will go to the finish line uh, next Sunday as he brings uh, the message in Hosea chapter 14. Uh, But I think it's important for us as we prepare our hearts and minds for uh, today's message to really understand uh, and be reminded of the big picture of what we've been seeing through the book of Hosea. And really the the big picture of the book of Hosea is unfolded for us in those first three chapters in Hosea 1 through chapter chapter 1 through chapter 3. And there we see really God's faithfulness to his people. And the illustration that is given through the prophet Hosea is actually Hosea's marriage to his wife, Gomer. Remember, it was God who called Hosea to go and marry Gomer. Gomer would prove to be the faithfully unfaithful bride. And yet, it's in the midst of that that God is painting an amazing story of redeeming love. Because the picture that we find in the book of Hosea is not really about Hosea's marriage to Gomer. The primary picture is God's love for his people. And there we see that God loves the unlovable, that he is warning the unfaithful, that he is faithfully good. And God's grace towards us, he is calling his wayward bride to come home time and time again. And by God's grace, when we are in rebellion, and we will be at times, God in his grace is putting up intervention after intervention after intervention to to make that rebellion not easy, right? And by God's grace, he initiates reconciliation. The relationship has been broken. He initiates, he pursues us to restore that relationship. And not only does he pursue us in restoration, but he accomplishes that reconciliation. Right? That's the story of the book of Hosea. And that's important for us to remember because for the past several weeks, I mean, we needed really a break, Good Friday and Easter, to be reminded of some things, right? But it's in the past weeks before that, but we've been really talking a lot about judgment, right? That God's judgment because of the unrepentant sin of his people. And that's still in the forefront of our passages that we're going to read today. But, but what God is reminding his people over and over again, and what he's reminding us today is his faithfulness to us. And so what we're going to do in our passage this morning is we're not going to read it verse by verse that we, the way we've been doing it uh, previously. What we're going to do, though, is we're going to see three amazing lessons that God proves his faithfulness to his people. And that's one of the reasons why we are to read the Old Testament. Because the Old Testament reminds us of not only the faithfulness of God, but it reminds us of lessons in life that we should not be repeating, right? The scripture says in 1 Corinthians 10, 11, Now these things happened to them, talking about Israel, as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. And so as we unpack 
today's message. Remember that not only are these stories, these, these real-life things, uh, historical events that happened in the Old Testament uh, relevant to them, but, man, they are relevant to us today. And so what's the first lesson that we see today? We see the lesson from Jacob. A lesson from Jacob. That's what we're going to see this morning, the first lesson. Jacob was the son of Isaac, the grandson of Abraham. So this is early on in that covenant that God made to Abraham, that through him the nations would be blessed, right? A part of the blessing included land, protection, children. But most importantly, that, that covenant with Abraham involved a relationship with God. That is the most important part. You can take the land away. You can take all those things away. But what's most important is that I have fellowship. I have a relationship with the Lord. And that blessing continued on to Jacob. And we pick up this first lesson at Jacob's birth. Now, what happens at Jacob's birth? The scripture says in Hosea 12, uh, verse 3, the first part, it says, in the womb, he took his brother by the heel. And so what we are reminded of is Jacob had a twin brother named Esau. Now, Esau was the older brother, right? And we get a picture in Genesis chapter 25 of what happened in the womb. In chapter 25, verse 26, the scripture says, afterward, his brother came out with his hand holding Esau's heel, so his name was called Jacob. So just imagine the picture. You're having twins, right? Not all of us, but some of us having twins, right? And the older brother comes out first, and a few seconds later, the younger one's coming out, but that hand is grabbed onto the older brother's heel. It's a, it's a picture of what Jacob's life was primarily going to look like. The word Jacob means deceiver or trickster. And that's what we find out in Jacob's life, that the majority of his life, he's been trying to live life in his own strength, he's, he has a desire to get things and secure things with his own strength and power. In fact, in Genesis 25, further on in that chapter, we, we see a picture of Jacob's deceit towards his older brother Esau. Esau goes out, he's, he's working hard, he's hunting, all these different things. He was like a burly man, right? And he's tired and he comes back home and he's hungry. Jacob's in the kitchen, man, he's cooking up something, right? And... Jacob says, I'll give you food if you give me your birthright. You see, it was the elder brother that got the birthright from the dad. And so really, for combo number one, right, supersized with a Diet Coke, Esau gives over his birthright to the deceiver, Jacob. Now, this deceptive pattern continued in Genesis 27, uh, when Isaac is uh, preparing to bless the older brother Esau with the inheritance he doesn't know about all this deception that Jacob's been doing early on. But Isaac, the father, is preparing to bless the older son, Esau, with the inheritance of the family. And Jacob gets word of this. Esau goes out to hunt. Jacob decides, I've got to get the inheritance. So what does he do? He takes fur of animal and he puts it on his arms, right, so that he can feel like Esau and smell like Esau. And again, this is kind of like the burly man, right? And he goes to his father, and by this time, Isaac is almost at the place of death, and he cannot see really well. And so Jacob goes in to his father, Isaac, and, and he says, I'm here, basically, I'm here. He, he feels like Esau, he, he smells like Esau, but when Jacob opens his mouth, he still sounds like who? Jacob. And Isaac says, are, are, are you really Esau? And Isaac says, <clears throat> yes, yeah, all right. Uh, Jacob says, yes, I am, you know, trying to get that big voice in. And, and the whole point is he's, Jacob is deceiving. That, that's, his, that's his posture. That's the lesson that we're finding in Jacob. And it's very similar to the people in Hosea's day. They're deceptive. 
The scripture also talks about other events in Jacob's lives. Jacob's life. In uh, Hosea 12, uh, beginning in verse uh, 3, the second part, it says, And in his manhood, so as Jacob grew older, he strove, that is, he wrestled with God. He, Jacob, strove, wrestled with an angel. And now this, this part of the angel is very, very important. It's one of those rare occasions in the Old Testament where Jesus revealed himself to people. Like the pre-incarnate Christ. I mean, just a beautiful picture. And so this story is reminding us that, that Jacob is wrestling the Lord, if you will. And the scripture says, and prevailed. Now the question is, who prevailed? Was it Jacob or was it the Lord? Well, the Hebrew is very clear. It was the Lord who won the battle, right? The Lord won the battle. And out of that, the scripture says that he, Jacob, wept and sought the Lord's favor. So what's happening here? Well, in Genesis 32, we see this particular story in Jacob's life where Jacob is wrestling with the Lord. It's this incredible encounter. And now you have to understand, Jacob is all alone, right? He's afraid. He's scared. He's all by himself. And there he's struggling to, to make things happen in his own strength, right? And there he meets the Lord. And Jacob, probably for the very first time, has a spark of humility. I can't do it on my own. And the question is asked. Remember, he deceived his father. Yes, I'm Esau. The question is asked by the angel of the Lord, the pre-incarnate Christ himself, what is your name? And what did he say? He was honest. My name is Jacob. And there, the Lord changed his name to Israel, the person. What a beautiful picture of God's mercy and grace to Jacob, the deceiver. The scripture continues in the second part of verse 4. He, Jacob, met God at Bethel, and there God spoke with us. The verse speaks of two different occasions that happened in Bethel. Remember, Bethel is uh, called the house of God, right? Remember, in Hosea's day, it was no longer called uh, the house of God, but a house of wickedness because of their unrepentant sin. But in Jacob's day, it was called Bethel, the house of God. We see that first occurrence happen in Genesis 28. Genesis 28 is where uh, Jacob has a dream, remember? He has this dream. And remember, he, he just deceived Esau. He just stole the birthright. Esau could whoop his tail, right? So he's on the run. He's scared. He's fleeing. And there he, he falls asleep out, out in the atmosphere or the, the space of air. He has no place to call home, if you will. Jacob's there. He falls asleep. He has a dream. And in that dream, uh, there's a ladder that stretches from uh, heaven down to earth. It's God's way of saying, I'm, I'm going to show you mercy. I'm going to show you grace. And, and the Lord promises him something. In Genesis 28, verse 15, the scripture says, Behold, I, speaking of the Lord, am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised to you. So again, even in the midst of Jacob's deceit and unfaithfulness, what do we see? We see the faithfulness of God. The second reference in Bethel, it happens in Genesis 35. And this is where uh, the Lord reminds uh, Jacob again of those blessings that will be poured over him. So all these, a picture of God's faithfulness to his people. And what is it that we learn? What is it that, that God is reminding the people in Hosea's day of through the lesson of Jacob? And that the lesson is this. By God's grace, we are who we are. We are we are. That's the message that through the prophet Hosea, God is giving to the people. 
In Hosea 12, verse 5 and 6, it says this, The Lord, the God of hosts, the Lord is his memorial name. So you, by the help of your God, right? You need his help. What does he say? He says, return, that is repent, hold fast to love and justice, meaning you don't have to live in deceit anymore. You don't have to try to live in your own strength. You don't have to try to get the upper hand on people, but no, instead, live, hold fast to love, unconditional love for people and justice. In other words, do the right thing, right? And wait continually for your God. It means continually live a life of faithfulness to the Lord. That, that's what God is speaking to the people of God in Hosea's day through the prophet Hosea. And it's a, the same message that he's teaching us today. The same lesson through Jacob. He's giving it us to us today. How do we know? Because of God's grace, we are who we are. Titus 2.11 says it like this. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness, worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. In other words, God's grace doesn't just forgive us of sin and save us from the wrath of God. It gives us power to live new lives. That's exactly what was happening in Jacob's life. You're no longer the deceiver anymore. You're the one who strives after God. Why? Because I've given you a new name. We are new in Christ. We have a new identity. And what is our aim? Titus goes on to say, or Paul goes on to say in Titus chapter 2, verse 13, waiting for our blessed hope. What a beautiful phrase. The appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Man, it's a picture of anticipation. Great expectation that, that God is going to complete what he started. Why? Because of God's grace, we are who we are. You see, there's no greater freedom than living out the life that God has given to us in Christ. That is a reminder for us today as the family of God here at Charleston Baptist Church. We are who we are because of God's grace. Now, what about the lesson from, the second lesson? We see a lesson from Moses. The lesson from Moses. It'll take a minute to get to where Moses comes into the picture, but, but understand the framework of what's happening here. We see this in Hosea chapter 12, uh, verse 8. The scripture says, Ephraim, so that would be another name for Israel, uh, has said, Oh, but I am rich. I have found wealth for myself, and all my labors they cannot find in my iniquity or sin. So we have a time in history, a specific time in history, where God's people are boasting about what? Their own wealth. They're boasting about all the things that they have accomplished. Now keep in mind, in Hosea's day, there was a sense of tremendous prosperity. And yet, God's people are saying what? We've done this on our own. We've earned it. We've secured it. We've worked really hard for this. This is our doing. Yeah, we may have needed a little help from the Lord, but this is me. I've made the achievements. i got the grades. It's all because of me. And it left them to a place of, we don't need God anymore. And so we get this tremendous lesson from the life of Moses. The scripture says in verse 9, in the first part of Hosea 12, it says, I am the Lord your God. In other words, I am the great I am from the land of Egypt. Now, the reason why God's people, so we're going back in history, right? When God's people were in captivity in Egypt. Now, what was the reason why God's people went to Egypt in the first place? There was famine in the land. So in order to try to find relief, they went to Egypt. But instead of finding relief in Egypt, what did they find? They found captivity. 
400 years of captivity. And the scripture tells us a little bit about that in Exodus 2. In Exodus 2, verse 23 and 25, the scripture says, During those many days, the king of Egypt died. Now, the one who had put God's people in captivity, that king died. Now, at that point, you're thinking, praise the Lord, we're going to get relief now, right? Well, no. The next person who came in charge basically followed the same policies and the same procedures as the previous king. So they're still under captivity. And the scripture says, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery. That word groan talks about that inward cry, that inner cry, that, that, that cry of desperation that hasn't been verbalized yet. But it doesn't stop there. The scripture says, and they cried out for help. A loud cry of great agony. God, we need help. They cry for rescue from slavery. And that cry came up to God. Now listen to the switch that happens in verse 24. How many times do we see God, God, God? The scripture says, and God heard their groaning and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac and with Jacob. And God saw the people of Israel and God knew. What tremendous hope that even in the midst of darkness, God hears, God remembers, God sees, God knows. And it was during that very time of bondage that God was doing something that the people did not realize. God was raising up another prophet, another man by the name of Moses. And that's where Moses comes in in Hosea 12 too. Not just Moses, but all throughout Israel's history. Prophets have been raised up, right? Hosea, one of the prophets, has been raised up all throughout history. God is reminding his people, I am with you. In Hosea 12.10, it says, I spoke to the prophets. It was I who multiplied visions, and through the prophets, I gave parables. So throughout Israel's history, God has been providing prophet after prophet after prophet to remind the people of God of the faithfulness of God and be reminded of the need for repentance. And here we get to uh, Moses in verse 13. The scripture says, By a prophet, the Lord brought Israel up from Egypt, and by a prophet, he was guarded. Again, the picture is here is God is raising up who? The prophet Moses to guide them, to protect them, to shepherd them. And God says to the people in Hosea's day, this is what I've done for you. I've raised up the prophet Hosea to guide you, to protect you, to shepherd you. But because of their self-reliance, what was happening? Instead of looking to uh, God, the leader that God provided for them, they were living in their own strength. And the scripture says, because of that self-reliance, the scripture says in Hosea 13, verse 2, and now they, speaking of Israel, send more and more and make for themselves metal images, idols skillfully made of their silver, all of them the work of a craftsman. So get the picture. The pride, their pride was the conduit that led them to more and more sin. The same is true for us today. When we live lives of self-reliance and we can do it on our own, that's, that's the conduit that breeds more and more sin. So what is, what is it that we learn from the life of Moses? We learn this. By God's grace, we have what we have. We have what we have. To the self-reliant and prideful people of God in Hosea's day, God says in Hosea 13, verse 4 through 6, he says, But I am the Lord your God from the land of Egypt. You know no God but me, and besides me there is no Savior. It was I who knew you in the wilderness, in the land of drought. Remember, that was where they were in the wilderness for 40 years, and what was God doing? God was providing shelter and manna from heaven and water from the rock. It was God who was providing it to them. 
So they were relying on the Lord, right? And then the scripture says in verse 6, but when they had grazed, they became full. So now they've left the wilderness. Now they're in the promised land, right? The scripture says what? But when they had grazed, they became full. They were filled. That was that they were satisfied. And then their hearts was lifted up. That means they became proud. And what happened when they became proud? Therefore, they forgot me. The downward spiral of self-reliance. God feeds his people. A few steps later, because of self-reliance, they've done what? They've forgotten all that God had done. The crazy thing is God warned them of this very thing before they went into the promised land. In Deuteronomy chapter 8, it says this, Take care, at least you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his rules and his statutes, which I command you today. Least when you have eaten and are full and have built good houses and live in them, and when your herds and flocks multiply and your silver and gold is multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, then your heart be lifted up and you will what? You will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, who led you through the great and terrifying wilderness when its fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground were there was no water who, who brought you water out of the flinty rock who fed you in the wilderness with manna that your fathers did not know that he might humble you and test you to do you good in the end. Beware, at least you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God for it is he who gives you power to get wealth that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers as it is today. The challenge is us, for us today. We look back and we say, how could they? Listen, we're, we're just as susceptible of living in self-reliance as God's people were in the past. We see our success. We see our growth. We see how we navigate different things. And, and it's in those moments that that temptation rises up to puff ourselves up. Look at what we have done. Look at what we have accomplished. Listen, yes, we serve and we give but ultimately, it's God's service to us that enables our service to others. It's God's gracious gift to us that compels us to be generous givers to others. Why? We have what we have because God's amazing grace. Consider the blessings that we have in Christ. Think about the spiritual blessings that you have in Christ today. Because of what God has given to you by his grace. Ephesians 1 says it like this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he blessed us in the Beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to his purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. So he's talking about those first century Christians. Verse 13, in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. You see the spiritual blessings that we have in Christ. 
These aren't things that we've earned. These aren't things that we can secure. These things have been secured and given to us because of God's amazing grace. We have what we have because of him. And because he has given us so graciously those spiritual blessings, we are the most blessed people on the face of the earth. Not because of our doing, but because of his doing. Now our final lesson this morning. The lesson from King Saul. King Saul. King Saul would have been the first, first earthly king that uh, were put over God's people because that's what God's people desired at the time. Uh, the scripture begins to talk about this in Hosea 13, verses 9 through 11. The scripture says, He destroys you, O Israel. You are against me, against your helper. So again, judgment is coming, right? So we, we can't forget about that. Because of God's people, their unrepentant sin, judgment was coming. They're, they're on the doorstep of the Assyrian army coming in in 722 B.C. and taking them captive again just like they did in Egypt, right? So that judgment is still there. And why is it there? God says in verse 10, where now is your king to save you in all your cities? Where are all your rulers, those of whom you said, give me a king and princes? I gave you a king in my anger, and I took him away in my wrath. So who's responsible of their destruction? Is it God? Or is it God's people who were unrepentant in their sin? They're, they're looking to what? They're looking for an earthly leader to be their security. The scripture says, the, the quote there, give me a king and princess. That comes from when God's people were crying out, we need a king. We need a king. Now understand the history here. When the nation of Israel finally entered into the promised land, they had everything that they ever needed, right? They had land of plentiful, they had the blessings of the Lord, they had the presence of God, they had him as their leader, right? And yet, God's people began to look around at other nations and see their kings, and what did they say? We want to be like them. We want a leader just like they have a leader. And Samuel, the prophet Samuel, he was against this. But the scripture says in 1 Samuel chapter 8, verse 7, the Lord said to Samuel, the prophet, obey the voice of the people in all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. And so God says, if that's what they want, then give them what they want. Why? Because through the lesson of King Saul, and kings kept coming and kept coming, and matter of fact, in the book of Hosea, there is a king there, but that king is about ready to be overthrown, and guess what? There is no other king for the people of Israel to who comes? Jesus Christ, our ultimate king, our heavenly king. And what's the picture? The picture is you want to find security in these earthly things? You want to find security in these earthly leaders? Then you have something coming. We know it didn't turn out good. We know it didn't turn out good. And what's the purpose of the lesson of, of King Saul? The purpose is this. By God's grace, we will be what we will be. See, in the midst of this judgment, God is going to remind them that he will fully restore them. Why? Because we will be what we will be because of God's grace. There's full restoration in Hosea 13, 14. Listen to what it says. It says, I shall ransom them from the power of Sheol, I shall redeem them from death. O death, where, where are your plagues? O Sheol, where is your sting? And then he says, compassion is hidden from my eyes. So there will be a time of temporary judgment. But there will also be a time of permanent restoration. 
God intends to assume the role of redeemer to his people. God takes full responsibility over them, a responsibility so great that ultimately it's going to lead to what? His one and only son coming to this earth, dying on a cross for the payment of our sins. Everything is moving to the redeeming love of Christ. Verse 14, it said, it said some phrases there. O death, where are your plagues? O Sheol, where is your sting? Does that ring a bell? Where do we see that again in the New Testament? The Apostle Paul speaks of this in 1 Corinthians 15. He says, When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on the immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. What a great day of restoration that will be. By God's grace, we will be what we will be. No more suffering. No more pain, no more death, no more doubt, no more dysfunction, no more dissatisfaction, no more trying to achieve things in our own strength, self-reliance, gone, forgetfulness, gone. As we look towards the future, let us do so with tremendous gratitude and thanks. And that's what it does. Do you see what he said there? Paul says, but thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. When we truly believe and truly trust that it is by God's grace that we will be what we will be, we will be a what? We will be a grateful people. So let us live every day being reminded that God is our true king. He is our true leader, our true provider, and our true security. Let us never forget that. Listen, pastors are going to come and go. Staff is going to come and go. The fellowship of Charleston Baptist Church is going to probably look drastically different in 30 years, right? But what we have to be committed to is our commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, none of us are perfect. All of us are flawed. And so when we're putting our stake in a person or a ministry or a mission, it will leave you dissatisfied every single time. But if you are looking toward the Lord... And how is it that we can help each other grow in who we are in Christ? Remember that maturity that the Apostle Paul prayed so fervently for. Oh, we will never be dissatisfied, but we will be fully thankful for God's work in and through his people. So till that day, we hold on to 1 Peter 1.13. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Hope. Confident expectation. Confident expectation that he will finish what he started. R.C. Sproul says this, Hope is faith, looking to the future with the full assurance that God will do what he promises he will do. Do you believe that God will finish what he started? The lessons from Jacob, the lesson from Moses, the lesson from King Saul was to his people and to us today is what? Don't be foolish, right? Don't be foolish. It's easy to be foolish, don't you think? It reminds me of when I was growing up, and I'll close with this. When I was growing up, at the time we lived in Turkey on an Air Force base. Uh, it was my junior uh, high school time, so middle school time for you young bucks. But back then it was called junior high school. And uh, I started picking up a basketball. I was going to learn how to play basketball. And so uh, I started playing basketball at the youth center. They had a basketball gym and all that stuff. And one of my friends, his name was Tremaine Carter. Uh, he played ball with us. Uh, Tremaine was an incredible athlete. He was a good bit shorter than me, 
and he was younger than me. But Tremaine could dunk a basketball by eighth grade. And I sat there with complete amazement. And I said, how does it feel to be able to dunk a basketball? He says, it feels awesome. And I said, well, I've got to feel that, you know, I've got to do it. And the gym that we play, play basketball in, had a gym, they did gymnastics and stuff, so they had one of those trampolines. And so we set it up, <laughs> and we, it's not bad yet. And, and I ran as fast as I could, I hit that thing, boom. He was right. It was pretty awesome. About that time, uh, Michael Jordan was playing in his first uh, championship that he won. And by that time, there had been, I think, six, six of his tennis shoes that came out. And I saw a, a commercial for Jordans. I'll show you a picture of it. And I saw these shoes, and I thought, you know what? If I get the shoes, I'll get the hops, right? I mean, look at Jordan's foot. He's way up there, right? So I, I worked hard. I got these shoes. I'm in, I'm in junior high. I'm in middle school. This is my thought. I get the shoes. I can dunk like Tremaine Carter, right? I laced those things up. I was ready. I barely got the net, right? Like, so I said, all right, there's got to be something else I can do. Well, that same year, uh, D. Brown won the slam dunk contest. And he came out with a pair of shoes called the Reebok Pumps. Y'all remember those? There they are. And you literally pumped air in the tongue, and you did your thing, and then you released the air out when you were finished, and you could hear the air coming out. So well, the Jordans didn't work. I'm getting Reebok pumps. And that's what I did. I remember the first time I got on the court, pumped those things up, ran as fast as I could, barely got the net again. And I said, man, I, gotta, I can't carry a trampoline everywhere I go. I got to learn how to jump. Well, about that time, I saw another pair of shoes. They're straight training shoes. Look at these things. You remember those? <laughs> now, it's at that point that I realized I either get a girlfriend or I learn how to jump. I'm not jumping right now. If I wear those, I'll never get a girlfriend again. <laughs> so I said, I'm not buying any more things. But the foolishness of what, of what I was thinking was if I just did this, then I'll be able to get this. Now, the spiritual implication is this. When we are foolish into thinking that we're not who we are because of Christ, or foolish into thinking that we don't have what we have because of Christ, or we're foolish into thinking that we will not be who we will be because of Christ, we will do foolish things. And so for the church today and the church to come, let us not be a foolish people. And where God reveals foolishness to us, because he will, let us be honest, let us confess, let us repent, and let us trust in the beauty of the gospel. That's right. Let us pray. Lord, we are so thankful for this morning. Thank you for our time and God's word. Lord, even in the midst of a challenging passage in Hosea, you have shown yourself faithful again. Lord, it's fun to have a laugh, but we all know that when we live in foolishness, when it's our own foolishness, or we're impacted by someone else's foolishness, there's nothing to laugh about. So Lord, would you allow us to be sensitive to where you're calling us today? Lord, yes, we are thankful for 38 years 
of fellowship at Charleston Baptist Church, and we long for and we look forward to many more years to come in your will. But Lord, let us walk every step of the way, relying on the faithfulness of God. Lord, thank you for the leaders that have come through Charleston Baptist Church. Thank you for the servants and the volunteers and the generosity and the prayers. Lord, it's a testimony to your grace and your goodness and your power. So Lord, let us celebrate the past. Let us enjoy the present. And let us look forward to the future. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.